0: So last week we pulled out of the hat one that actually had two separate questions on it. One of them was how to be more consistent in our life of worship. I'm going to answer that one in a video that will come out sometime during the course of this series. Um, but I'm going to focus in on the other question for this message. So this is the question that was written. How do you How to separate the following of Jesus, maybe not specifically religion, but Jesus, From the current political climate. Let's pause and take a drink. This message comes with a disclaimer, which means you know it's going to be good. (laughs) As we wade into the message today, there is a high chance I may say something that you just don't flat out agree with, or that I might even somehow, what I say, might offend you. That is indeed the nature of any time anyone talks politics, isn't it? So this is my encouragement. Hear my heart on this message. Hear my heart on this message. Remember, I care deeply for each and every one of you as God's people. And this message is just as much for me as it is for all of you. It's for us. And frankly, if I'm not pushing us at least a few times throughout the year, I'm not doing my job. So I'm just seeking to be faithful to what was before me. So if there's anything that hits you in the gut, oh, you know, gut punch, pay attention to it. Notice, why am I feeling this way? Maybe there's something going on there, right, for us to have a reaction. There might be something there. Don't just dwell on the offense, but rather ask God to reveal if there is any work for you to do in and around that area. Please also don't hear what I'm not saying. I can't cover all our bases today. This could be a year-long series after all. But instead, listen to the heart of the message. Is that something we can agree on today? Is your interest peaked? Slightly terrified? Bring it on. Great. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, 75%. Let's go. 2022, fun times, Right? What a few years it has been. You do not need me to paint a picture of everything we've had to wade through over these past few years. Division, increased polarization, and so much anger. People are so angry. Have you noticed? So, so angry about what? Everything. Just angry to be angry. Did you notice? People hardly even say good morning anymore. What do they say instead? Morning morning. It is morning. 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 Is it a good morning? No, it's just morning because nothing's good anymore because it's 2022. And oh, the joy of politics. The left is going like crazy left. The right is going like crazy right. And those in that big gap in the middle are just wondering what the heck is going on. Unless we get too far thinking about all those people. You know what I mean when I say those people? You know those people. Those people. You always have to say, you gotta get a little deeper. A little gravelly. Those people. You wanna try it? Those people. Yeah, those, yeah. You know those people. On the other side, they don't see things the same way as you. They don't believe the same things of you. They, they, they're just like, they're those people, right? You know what I'm talking about. Before we get too carried away, pointing at them and blaming those people and feeling all puffed up and assured that we got things, you know, mostly right, let's be brutally honest and say over the course of the past few years, probably all of history, but especially the past few years, Christians have been no better over these past few years. And in fact, I dare say, in many ways, us Christians have been worse because, as my mama used to always say, we should know better. You know what I'm saying? You see someone's post on Facebook, like someone you, like, sit next to at church, and then, like, you see what they post, and you, like, do, like, a double take? Oh, so that's what you believe. I had no idea. Okay, judge thy neighbor. Got it. Eye for an eye, going Old Testament on them. Okay, unfollow, right? We've all been there. It's been weird. It's been weird. It's been a weird landscape. And popular opinion on Christians continues to move in one way, and Christians' views of popular culture continue to go the other way. And as a part of this polarization are clearly defined political lines. Look at some data here before we get to God's word. A 2022 Pew Research report, so this year, found that a majority in both parties view members of the other party as what? More immoral, dishonest, lazy, unintelligent, and close-minded than other Americans. It's interesting, isn't it? And then get this. Republicans and Democrats are also hilariously misinformed about members of the opposite party. This is a perception survey that came out in the Journal of Politics. Perception survey. So Republicans estimated, this was their perception, that 36 percent of Democrats are atheists or agnostics. 36 percent. The real number is nine percent. And the perception was that 38 percent of Democrats identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. 38 percent. The real number Democrats, on the other hand, perceive Republicans. They estimate that 44% of Republicans make over $250,000 a year. 44%. The real number, 2%. (laughs) What does all that mean? We tend to think of those people on the extremes. But in reality, we really have no clue. We really have no clue. And we're also not in close proximity to the people on the other side. In that same Pew Research poll from earlier, 40% of Democrats and 43% of Republicans, so nearly half for both, belong to their party because they oppose the other party's values and not because they stand for what their party represents. Political science Tists refer to this level of polarization as negative partisanship in which super factions hang together mainly out of sheer hatred for the other team rather than a shared sense of purpose. How shockingly antithetical that is to Christianity. And yet the lines have been blurred, haven't they? Every way you cut it, our nation is not trending toward unity and peace, but further disunity and destruction. And before you start going, it's because of those people, or it's because of that person, check yourself. Because that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about ourselves. So the question is, how do we follow Jesus well? How do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ and love our neighbor in the midst of all of this. In 20 minutes or less. (laughs) If if you're lucky, (laughs) need an intermission. Kidding. We need to what? We need to recalibrate. As I said on the outset, we need to recalibrate. We need to refocus on true north and remember what is good, what is right, what is true. And the first thing to remember about that is that God reigns over it all foundational to how we live, to what we say, to what we believe, to what we do. And anything in life and in faith is this foundational fact of our faith, that our highest authority is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one true God. He reigns over and above it all. Look at the psalmist. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And Nehemiah 9, 6, you are the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heaven worships you. To recalibrate, we must remember Our highest authority is not a political party. It is not a president. It is not a former president, but it is a good and loving king who reigns over it all. He demands, and unlike any human you will ever find, he also deserves our highest and our fullest loyalty. Did you know? Even though... Globally, or at least, yeah, globally, the average number of people in church, no, nationally, excuse me, it's on the decline. We kind of talked about that before. That despite that reality, there are still more people in church every week than people that go to sporting events and movie theaters every single week combined. Yeah, so there are more people attending church each week than people that go to sporting events and movie theaters every week combined. What does that say? We underestimate our influence in this world. I wonder, have we been good stewards of our influence? Imagine if every Christian across the globe focused on what unites us instead of spending so much time and energy on that which divides us. We underestimate our influence in this world, but our influence is most impactful not in the loud, flashy ways you might think, but in the small, faithful acts dependent on the spirit of everyday Christians like you and like me. We must remain hyper-focused, hyper-focused on what matters, but not what matters to us, but what matters to our high King. This part might be the, the most gut check time, so bear with me. A couple questions for us to consider. Do we care more about our political party or our political beliefs than we do about our kingdom cause? And you, as you sit there and you're thinking about this question, I would say almost all of us would say, well, no, of course not. Of course not, no. And yet, we need to be honest that there is a disconnect often between what we say and what we do. So let's ask it another, another way. Do you get as fired up about lost people finding hope in Jesus Christ as much as you get fired up over politics? It's not innately wrong to be passionate. It is not wrong to get fired up About things that are happening in this nation, in this world, or even about our specific political beliefs. But we have to keep things in the right order and in the right focus. So, who are we letting form us? What or who is discipling you? We're all being discipled throughout our weeks by something or someone. Is it the church of Fox News? Is it the church of CNN? Got both sides, so wherever you are, and in the middle, you're all, or is it the church of Christ? See, are your opinions being formed by political commentators more than they are being formed by the true word of God? In many houses, the news is on every single day, but the Bible stays closed. In many houses, church falls into an optional add-on category, but catching up on Facebook is a daily necessity. Who or what are we allowing to form us? We must be deeply intentional, deeply intentional, to remember that we answer to a high king. We are part of a kingdom, and he is a good king, who reigns above it all. He's in control over all things. He reigns over all the nations. He reigns over this nation. Does he reign over your house? Does he reign over your life? Because if he's the highest, since, because he is the highest, everything else must submit to him. And friends, I dare say I believe there's a much bigger gap between our God and his ways than our political views. A way bigger gap than any of us think. But that's the problem, this polarization. That's the tension, this blurring of faith and politics. And we are so mad. And we are so hurt. And and we are offended by what others have said. And we react at what others believe and what others post. And our flesh and blood friends are becoming our enemies. But this is not the news. This is church where I can say we have hope. We have hope. We have a living hope because of Jesus. We always have hope. There is a better way. We're not called to further division, but rather we are called to unity. Differences of opinion are a reality. It's built into the fabric of human life. But division is always a choice. Think for a minute of the 12 disciples. One of them was named Simon. He's a zealot. The zealots worked actively to overthrow Roman rule. They were very anti-government, okay? (laughs) Who else do we have? We have Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, who, who, if you know anything about tax collectors, no one likes tax collectors. They work for the government. He's collecting money often uh, in, in not the best way for the gov- government. So you have Simon and Matthew at complete ends of the spectrum politically, yet they were friends. They were united in Jesus because their ultimate loyalty was in Jesus. Jesus meaning everything else fell underneath that as they submitted to that. Do you think those two occasionally disagreed? Yeah, I'm sure they disagreed. I'm sure they disagreed. But they didn't allow their disagreements to lead to division. They stayed focused on what matters. This next quote I found quite thought-provoking because I believe that this has been a shift that's happened more and more and more recently that communicates to us now. We should feel more at home with people who share our faith, but not our politics, even more than people who share our politics, but not our faith. If not, then perhaps we're rendering to Caesar what belongs to God. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. We can disagree and still love one another if we are willing to put in the work. In the midst of differences, in the face of polarization, this is how we are called to live. Look at the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to what you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's how we're called to live. With no buts. That's how we're called to live. You've heard it said that if you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the, the body of Christ, where, where Christ is the head of his body. He directs us. He guides us. He is the one who reigns over it all. And we are all a part of that body. We don't get to choose to be part of the body or not. It's God appointed. It simply is, meaning we rise and we fall together. What does it look like for us to unite around what matters? To rise once again and regain the influence in this world that has been lost? First, we remember he reigns above it all and we give him our ultimate loyalty. Then we also must remember the battle. Other people are not the enemy. The other people on the other side, those people, they're not the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 lays it out for us that our war is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. Satan is the enemy of God. That means Satan and his machinations and his happenings ought to be the enemies of the people of God. Who rejoices when we participate in division? Who rejoices when we use harsh language? Who rejoices when we post our opinion online? Who rejoices when we keep our Bible closed? Who rejoices when we beat someone down with an argument? I do not suspect it's God. And We know, because we've all encountered them, and we've likely all been them, that proud people do not love well. Humble people like in Ephesians, gentle people, patient people, peaceful people, forgiven people, sinful and saved people. Oh, we can love well because we've received the best love of all. So may we share it. May we embody it as a body as we bear with one another in love. You know what it means to bear with one another? It means you work it out. You bear with each other. You got any siblings? It's like that. Uh, I wish you couldn't be my brother, but you're still my brother. Right? You bear with one another. We bear with one another despite our differences. Never go into division, but we fight for the unity of the Spirit. Remember, God reigns above it all. Remember, other people are not the enemy. And then, what must we do? But submit, submit, submit to how God calls us to live. We've preached on it here before, and if you've read your Bible, you've come across it before. Uh, Oftentimes, in like elementary school and things, are taught the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. The language confused me, but it was kind of a version from something Jesus taught about the greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, right? But then later we know that Jesus ups the ante even more. And he is sitting uh, after washing his disciples' filthy feet, washing his betrayer's feet, washing his denier's feet, all other disciples who would leave him at his moment of greatest need, He takes their filth upon himself, giving us a glimpse of what he does for all of us on the cross. And he sits there and this is what he says. Oh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. And by this, By this mark, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then later he says it again this way, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You can reflect on all day how God has loved you and it won't even be the smallest drop in the ocean of his love for you. That's the platinum rule to love others as Jesus loves us. And you might be thinking, okay, how does he call us to live? Love? Really? Kevin, that's hippie talk. (laughs) Well, the hippies stole it from Jesus, okay? And they twisted it into a weird way and they did weird things. We're not talking about that. This is Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is love embodied, is calling us to love and we sometimes forget that. It's not as simple as tr- simply treating others as we want to be treated. That 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 That's with, you know, respect and dignity and kindness. That's the basic of all humanity. We all should be treating each other that way anyway. That's the starting point, right? But as Christians, the sacrificial, sacrificial extravagant grace of our Savior is the type of love we're called to live into. That's how we share it. That's how we stand out. That's how people know that we are different. Not by our opinions, not by our judgments, but by our love. As you read scripture, there's a great paradox. Jesus actually is an embodiment of a lot of fascinating things, and one of them is that Jesus Christ, the most righteous to ever live, that also means the most right person. He was always right. He was never wrong, right? This is Jesus Christ, the most righteous and most right person to live. He was also the least judgmental. Now, this is a paradox because we're like, wait, he's also the one that will come to judge the living and the dead. And yet, when he dealt with people here on earth, he's the least judgmental. He met everyone with love. Think of the woman Who is brought before him in sin, and they say penalty is to stone her to death. And what does Jesus do? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Slowly everyone walks away. Him, the only one worthy to judge her, says, they condemn you? No, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. The most righteous and most right person was the least judgmental. You see, Jesus showed us a more excellent way. A more excellent way that Paul captures for us in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've been to like a million weddings, don't just like glaze over during this. Because this is good stuff, man. This is good stuff. Paul is writing here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, oh, I'm just making noise. I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, meaning I can do all these amazing things, even in the name of God. But if, and if I have faith that can move the mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give everything I have, if I'm incredibly generous in all other ways, if I give everything I have to the poor, if I give over even my body to hardship, that I may boast But I do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. But it does rejoice with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. What is Paul describing? He's describing the more excellent way of our highest king. This is Jesus personified. And it's how he calls us to be. Without these we are nothing. Without him, we are nothing. In a broken, angry, hurting world that is watching us at all times, without these love, we are nothing. But with love, God and the power of his spirit goes to work. And then we get to see what God is going to do. So we must posture ourselves to be loving, to receive it better, and to share it better. Passage in Ephesians 6. Be angry and do not sin. Yeah, that's easy. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If anyone says, oh, later another passage, 1 John 4, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. We have to be honest with ourselves. To say, admit, confess before God. There's a bit of self righteousness in all of us. But to make a difference, to stand out, to influence, to allow God to go to work, we have to rise above the noise. We have to follow the way of our Savior and contend to be Christ-like in all ways and lead with love. We are called to be in the world. We're not called to retreat from it. We're not called to to remove ourselves and surround us with like-minded people and just beautiful echo chambers where we're all having fun singing kumbaya, whatever, to people, hippies again, my goodness. We're not called to remove ourselves. We're called to be in the world, but also not of the world. We don't lower ourselves to others' level. We stand out. We stand on the promises of our God. We stand and share the love of our God. We ought, Christians ought, to look shockingly different from the rest of the world. If the only, if, if, if I, if all the parents say at Indian prayer where my kids go to school, I, I do the drop off and pick up for miles often. If the only reason they know I'm a Christian is because of my silly bracelet, I have missed the mark. But how I talk, how I interact, how I do things a little bit differently ought to be the mark. And then they see it and go, oh, it's one of those Jesus people. Okay. Here's the thing. We cannot change others. You ever try it? Oh for whatever, right? You cannot change others. We can't change others. We can, we can, we can submit to the Spirit and change ourselves. We can't control other people. We can't change someone's mind. We can't tell them what to do or what to say or how to live. But we can control ourselves. We can still stand for the truth while not being a jerk if I may say so bluntly. We love, we love, we love. We remember that God reigns above it all. He's our highest loyalty. We remember other people, they're not the enemy. Oh no, but then we submit to how God calls us to live and then we let the Spirit work. The reality is everything you've read, everything you've seen, all the tension you feel as you watch the news and you see these things and people talking about Christians and the fighting and all of this, uh, Christians, we have lost our standing as a moral authority in this world where we used to be able to speak or to live in a way and people would look at us and say yes, now they will look at us and say no. We've lost being a moral authority. And you can't win that back by force and then preach a God of love. But you can win it back through love, through us collectively submitting to the Spirit, being humble, being slow to anger, quick to listen, speaking uh, and seeking to give most of our attention to that what matters most to God. And if you're like me, you've said many times, man, things are crazy right now. This world is crazy, right? Have you said that? Anybody say that? The past three years? Anyone say that this morning? For, yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. Yeah, this world is crazy. Always has been, always will be. That's the reality. This is a broken world that's not even our home. It was crazy during the time of Genesis. It was crazy during the time of Job. It was crazy during the time of the judges, of Jesus, of Paul, of Luther, of Sibasma, of Sanders. <laughs> Through it all. God remains. God is faithful. And his spirit is still at work. And all the things I've mentioned up to this point about love and how we're called to live, all that stuff, all that stuff, it doesn't matter if we go about it on our own power. Because we're going to run out of our own power very fast. Or if we're focusing on what other people need to do, that's a non-starter. Because we need help. We need wisdom. We need loving transformation. And we have all that and so much more. And the power of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit that resides within us. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139. This ought to be our daily prayer and our daily posture. Search me, O God. Search me. Let the other people, I'll pray for them too, but search me, God. Know my heart. Try me, God. Know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me, any at all, and then lead me in the way everlasting. It starts with us. It starts with us. Because the reality is, we're probably not as right as we think we are. How do I know this? Because we're all sinners. Which means we might be right at times, and we might not. We might be right, but we go about it wrong. We might be right, but not loving. What if Christians are right, but they're rude? If we are right, but our approach is wrong, it throws out our rightness. But the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth the spirit of transformation, the spirit of the very power of God that can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. And that means that the spirit can change us if we submit. That means the Spirit can make us better to love and stand out in this crazy world. That God has the power to redeem all things, for he reigns over all of it. May his kingdom come in this world, in this nation, and in us. See, our approach, our tone, our posture, it matters a great deal. Sinful, broken people, people like those people, who's also us, but think about in Jesus' time, sinful, broken people flocked to Jesus. He was surrounded by him. Why was it that Jesus, who was totally perfect, had sinful people come into him on the regular? Because Jesus did not make those sinful people feel wrong. He made them feel loved. Still spoke the truth, but he loved. He loved. He loved. He showed them a more excellent way. As Paul wrote, if I have filled in the blank, the right answer, the right belief, the right viewpoint, the perfect little zinger, the best, oh, this is gonna mmm. But I do not have love. I have nothing. I am nothing. But when we submit to the love that created the world, that conquered the grave that breathes into you life and sustains your very life, when we lead and share that love and do all things in love, we get ourselves out of the way and we allow the Spirit to work. The Spirit who can do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine. So remember, your highest allegiance its to the God who rules and reigns above it all. Remember, you have more influence than you think you do. So remember, as you live out that influence, how we, as Christ followers, are called to live. To love God, to love our neighbor as he loves us. And as we do that, we may allow God to change the world as we posture ourselves into a more excellent way. And that way is the way of Jesus, the one who conquered the earth with his love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we just humble ourselves before you again. And we say thank you. We simply ask that you will search our heart and know our innermost being, know our hearts and our thoughts, and reveal in us what you need us to do, how we have gone astray. You reign above it all, God. God, you're in control of it all, and you have shown us a more excellent way. So God, we're, we're going to pray the very words that you taught us to pray, the very words that are foundational in what it means to honor you, to love you, to love our neighbor as we turn our eyes on you. So God, together we now pray the very words that you've taught us as we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Whenever you are going through this life, this hard life, you're wondering what to do, simply turn your eyes, your attention, your focus to Jesus. He will show you the way, a more excellent way.